Hey guys, my name is Jeff Bayless. This is The Evolution. If it's your first time uh, checking in, I appreciate you. Uh, and if you are uh, coming back, I appreciate you returning and listening to another episode. Uh, today I have Amari Ponciano. He's an active duty senior chief stationed in Italy right now. Uh, we, we definitely practiced our social distancing by several hundred miles. Uh, and I think You'll hear that in the audio. We had to do it uh, via Zoom. And, uh, you know, his story is remarkable. And it's there's really just so many takeaways uh, in, in listening to this story and having him share it with me. I got goosebumps, and I know you will too. Uh, so give it a listen. Consider some things you can take away, not just from what happened, but, you know, how the sailors reacted how they performed in adversity and uh you know just just try to look through it through the lens of your own life and how you can apply some of these lessons learned to yourself as you listen to his story here he is my friend amari and we're live hey uh thanks amari for coming on the show uh i think you have a pretty remarkable story and i haven't even heard the whole story yet and that's on purpose um so if you could just tell the listener a little bit about yourself uh, you know, we'll get into why, you know, we connected and what, what you have to share with us, but just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background so people know who they're listening to. Uh, yeah. So, uh, um, my name is Mario Ponciano. Uh, I was born in the Dominican Republic. Uh, I came to the U S when I was 14. Uh, I didn't speak any English <laughs> and I joined the military right after high school. Right. And, um, so went through a school, uh, Great Lakes. I was assigned to be an RM actually at that time. Um, I was singing RM, RM A school for only two weeks, and then uh, we trans we converted to IT. Um, I was number one in my class, and I remember wanting to pick a ship, right? Um, and I remember saying I want something newer and where I could do my job. And I remember my uh, instructor saying, "Well, you need a DEG because you will be doing everything." Uh, and the newest one at that time was the U.S. Patrol. Um, yeah, so, and you came in you're around 2000, is that right? So, I Nin came in in 99. 99. Yeah. I came in in 99, and, uh, you know, we had a, at that time, they were bringing a lot of ITs into the Navy, so, like, for me, I, I passed review, I was done, came in in uh, August, I was done in October, but I didn't class up all the way until, like, January. Okay. So, we were just waiting uh, for, like, two months. Uh, to get it classed up and then uh so picked orders and then i left I, and i left great lakes and i joined the u.s calling around april of 2000 and then at that, at that time cole was stationed in norfolk still no or? yes uh it was stationed in norfolk uh okay. first time in norfolk um and uh you know i remember my my sponsor uh she was telling me um hey you know come in because we're about to go to come to x that way you could see how the underway period is, you know, you could hit a port per se, because we we're going to hit Miami, mm -hmm. that sounds too bad. Uh, and uh, that way you could kind of get the feeling before we actually go on deployment, like what, what would be to be underway and hit a port. So, and obviously a lot of my listeners are Navy. So a lot of these acronyms like Com2X, they're going to understand all that stuff. And obviously anybody that does the math in their head right now, they're going, okay, this guy was on the USS Cole, you know, had to have been there on October 12, 2000, right? So um, what I'd like to do, if it's all right with you, is just kind of come back to that. So let's put a bookmark in that, right? 
the, okay. the cold chapter and then just tell us a little bit about like who you are, uh, you know, in relation to your career. And then we'll go back to the cold if that's okay. Sounds good. So right now, and in, in this August, I'll hit 21 years. Um, um, right now I'm stationed at NCTS Sicily. I'm the uh, operations department leading uh, chief petty officer. Um, as I said, I'm, I'm senior chief now. I've been a senior chief now for uh, six years. Okay. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I really love what I do. I, I have a I have a pretty diverse background, um, you know, between staff uh, with Strike Group 8, NCTS uh, um, Bahrain, Nick Tamsland, uh, DDG again, I went to uh, the Fort Sherman. That's when I was where I picked up Chief uh, back in 2011. And then from there, I went to Quarry Station as the training manager for all uh, IT uh, uh, C, C and F schools. Okay. Um, and then uh, from there, I went to Desert on 22, which, uh, crazy enough, one of the reasons why I picked uh, uh, 22, because I had the choice between 22 and 28, was because the U.S.'s coal was under uh, 22 as one of the shifts. And, uh, which I was, I was on, like we were talking off show, uh, I was actually on USS Coal this morning. Uh, that's one oh. of my shifts. Yeah, because I'm obviously at Desert on 22 now. Um, Okay, so that's that's basically that gives a listener a background of like what you do. So what about who you are? Like who who are you? What does family look like? What is so, hobbies? So, stuff like um, that? my life is my two children. You know, uh, I'm, I'm single. Uh, I have an 18 year old daughter, Belen. Uh, she's in Virginia, uh, and then I have my son, uh, Adrian, who is six six years old, and he's in Vegas with his mom. Um, his mom is in the Air Force, that's why they're over there in Vegas. Okay. Um, yeah, and uh, for me, you know, my, my biggest things or things that I enjoy doing, and another one of the reasons why I picked coming here to Sicily, was I love to travel, uh, and then I mix the traveling with watching football or soccer matches. So I try to go to all these countries, and I make a, a weekend out of it whenever I, I have a free time, and I go and enjoy a match, and then uh, you know come back, re-energize, and come back to the grind. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, I will air this during the, the COVID-19 thing will still be going on. So I'm sure that's hindered you a little bit in your travels. And you're in an area that was a uh, pretty hot zone, right? It, it, it has. It has. Uh, you know, we are fortunate, though, that the island of Sicily, compared to northern Italy, is mm -hmm. nothing. You know, it's still happening. We have cases and we have death, but we haven't even hit, like, the 200 total of people passing away, which is incredibly good, you know, compared when you look at the numbers that come up from Northern Italy. Yeah. So uh, it has hindered me and I mean, all of my guys in regards to traveling, because we literally are, in, we've been in lockdown way before in the U.S. because right. it hit so hard. Yeah. Um, so we literally go from work home. Um, we're lucky though, that we actually have the commissary. We have, you know, the, the next, we have services within the base that we're able to use that the regular Italian is not able to use out of town. You know, for a long time, we still had the gym open while people outside couldn't use those services. Yeah. Uh, so, so it has, it has ended, but I, I mean, it's one of those things that I feel like safety first. So yeah. I can always travel later on. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, the safety of my sailors comes first. I'm sure you're very well aware of the, like the OPSEC guidance that's been put out. So I'm like, I just tiptoe around that topic now. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, everybody's experiencing it. So, um, but anyway, I'm sure, I'm sure you experienced it as well. Um, just being in that area. Uh, 
probably before any of us uh, here in the States, which is also one of the really cool things about this podcast platform is uh, it's global. Like, so what time is it there now? So right now here is uh, 1917. Yeah. So like, you know, it's pretty neat. Like, you know, the, the, the reach and I get all the analytics and it tells me like where people are listening. And I know that the overseas, or I assume that the overseas people are all friends through the military. So that's pretty, that's pretty cool. But okay. So, um, now that we know a little bit about you, let's let, we did put a bookmark in and obviously everybody knows, uh, the USS Cole, uh, was attacked, uh, on October 12th, right. Uh, right. 2000. And, uh, that had a major impact, not only on, uh, the Navy, the country, uh, but everybody knows that story, right? Or, or should, if not, you know, there's a lot of history books on that. Uh, and, and the CEO of the ship even wrote a book uh, yes. about that. Uh, so all of that information is out there. And I don't want to gloss over that or pretend like it's not important. But what I want to get is your story. And what your perspective of it was being on board during the attack, leading up to the attack, after the attack, what was morale like, you know, all of these things. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll just, I'll let you go. <laughs> so tell us about it, man. Yeah. So uh, I'll start with, you know, we left in, uh, if I'm not mistaken, August 2nd of 2000, we left Norfolk, Virginia on deployment. And um, at the beginning, the longest we were out to sea was about the two weeks transit to get to, you know, to Europe. The first port we hit was Barcelona. So talk about, an amazing place to go as your very first port. And, you know, we were back then, we were, we were not at war. Um, the Navy had different rules that we have today. So even a, a E1 like myself, that was the ITSR when I was, you know, when I was on board the pole, uh, was able to, you know, stay out, you know, with, with, you know, my Liberty buddies and stuff. But I was able to stay out two, three o'clock in the morning. Like that was just the norm. You know, there was no, so many strangers security, which allow us to enjoy you know, the, the, the ports that we hit. So um, we continue to hit different ports. Like literally our seal had this thing where he did not want us in the weekends in these ports. So we literally transit during the weekends and then we will pull in like on a Monday, pull out on a Friday. Mm. Uh, but we were, we were hitting for being a, to me, I was like, well, this is the Navy. The Navy's going to be awesome for me then if this is how, what deployments are about. Mm. Um, but in, in, in between all that though, there was a, a level of, camaraderie, uh, people understanding and learning their jobs, like myself as ITSR. I remember talking to my LPO, uh, IT1 Blusso, uh, at the time, he's retired as a lieutenant commander now. Um, talking to him like, hey man, I, I'm the deck seaman, so I understand I'm gonna be in everything, you know, but what, you know, what can I do to stay in radio for DQ, like, for example, like, and I remember him looking at me and saying, you just need to get qual. And that was kind of like the mindset on board the USS Cole. It was, it was everybody, you know, how can I be better? And, you know, we, we pushed ourselves. It was like four or five of us to hang out. They were uh, like seamen. Uh, and we kind of like just said, like, what is the next call? What are you working on? What am I working on kind of thing? Um, so, you know, we went through it. And uh, it was time to go to the Swiss Canal. Uh, we went through that. And then... In between that, as soon as we cleared, uh, we had a, a oil leak um, that put us at a, at a, at a lower level, and uh, we had to pull into Yemen. Like, we couldn't replenish at sea. Um, we had to pull in somewhere. And the closest port that we could go to was uh, Aden in Yemen. 
So I'll tell you, uh, like I said, I was part of uh, pretty much everything on rep, being anchor, you name it. Um, and we were, you know, man enough to see an anchor because we were going to moor in this small, like, fueling pier. You know, literally, it was probably, you could fit, like, 10 people in this small pier. It was just a pump, mm -hmm. uh, pretty much. And um, I remember coming in, and as we were going into this uh, pier, it, it looked weird to see, you know, three or four ships sunk in that area, you know. Um, I don't know if they were their own army, I mean, their own navy, or, or what kind of ship, you know. But it, I remember vividly, like yesterday, us standing at, uh, a four uh, by the uh, five inch and just kind of like looking like, man, what, what are we pulling into? Were you a line handler? A line handler, yeah, I was a yeah. line handler, you know, as a, a little Simon Pontiano. Uh, but I remember just looking at it. We were all like that, and, and uh, so much so that uh, there's a video, you know, someone was recording, and I, I saw that video again like five years ago, and you hear people, you know, you know, it's kind of like talking about it, like, this is weird, like, you know. Um, but, you know, you don't, you're not thinking anything of it. You're just going to go refuel and, you know, go on about your business. Um, later on, I learned that the commanding officer was told to pull in facing inward because the way it was it was if you could picture it it was kind of like a u and then in the middle of it is this uh pier so if he pulled in facing uh towards the land then if something would happen he will you know he will have to turn the ship all the way around and that will take more time to maneuver and get up and get out so he requested to you know move the ship so that way so we were facing outwards just in case something happened we could sit out. That's important because of where now what was facing the outside, uh, the way we could get hit was the port side instead of the starboard side. Mm -hmm. And the starboard side becomes even more important because in the area where we were, where we got bombed was where repair five would have been. So you have repair five, you have most of CIC, you know, you have the medical in that side as well. So if if he would have never turned the ship and it was still would have been that way, all that area would have been gone, which probably would have meant even more deaths. Uh, yeah, and, and most most people probably know exactly what you're talking about. But on a DDG, so yeah, like medicals on the starboard side, uh, you know, one of your major repair lockers for a main space is on the starboard side. And so because they were starboard side too, they basically hit the Mestex, right? Which is still not good. I mean, there's not a good place to be attacked yeah. on the ship, but... Uh, it was the mess decks instead of your BDS, like your battle dressing station and your. your that, that is correct. Yeah. So, you know, so we finally pull in. Um, right, I want to say right around uh, 900. Um, and, you know, I go down back to radio. We're down without rep. I go down to radio. I remember uh, me and uh, Seaman Guana, who was in IT as well, we were training this deck Seaman called uh, uh, Seaman Wiverly. He wanted to be in IT. So we're training him, we're going through our stuff, and uh, it gets, you know, they, they call it early child for watch, which oh, actually they call it extremely early. Um, and it was, you know, the XO came over and said that we were pumping so quickly that we're gonna set C, uh, on C and Anchor again rather quickly than expected. We were expected to be there for about six hours. And here so we there are. Were, there, were no, there were no repairs being done, it was just for fueling? And we're just refueling. Okay. There was no repair being done because of what the leak that happened before was taken care of. It's just that we lost so much fuel. 
Be a brief stop um, for fuel, BSO. Yeah. Yep. So, okay. so you know, so we go and uh, you know, we head out. All three of us, we head out to the Mastics. Um, I'm standing in the starboard side, and I remember Guana, Simon Guana, Simon Werberly saying, "Hey, we're gonna go to head of the line. We're just gonna say that we have to stand and watch next." And I remember like yesterday, me saying, "They're not gonna believe the ITs have you know the next." Time. <laughs> So I was just like, I was like, I'm going to stay back, you know, so I stayed by uh, the repair locker. And then uh, I want to say not even 20 minutes later after that, you, I heard this incredible explosion. And then I felt the ship come off the water and come right back down. And first, my, you know, I'm trying to like, catch up like what's going on and the first instinct is like okay did the refueling station blew up you know but i'm standing in the starboard side where the refueling station is so if the would that would have been the case that i'll, I'll be dead mm -hmm. so so, wait, wait, so where, where so, are you exactly so i was in the starboard side and the p-way and the, uh, the mid-p-way where you go to go get some food in between the the so it's the middle of the P-way where you have the CMC office, yep. repair five, and the, and, the met, and the galley where you pick up your food. So you were in the athwart ship's P-way there? Yes. The so mess line. Exactly. And that mid, the midships, yep. uh, they goes between the starboard side and to the port side or vice versa. Oh, and you were waiting for regular chow to go down. Exactly. I gotcha. was waiting in line for regular chow. So I was wrapping around the line where it goes from the galley to, um, um, to like the repair five when it makes that turn and yeah, the, the starboard side. Do you so have a moment, after the impact, kind of like brace myself. I feel the smoke just coming. And uh, my first instinct is like, okay, I want to go towards the flight deck to, you know, get some fresh air kind of thing. Uh, so it's getting really smoky. And uh, the XO is coming from the flight deck and he's announcing, go to your battle station, go to your mm -hmm. battle station because our uh, 1MC did not work. Mm. That's one of the things that came out of, you know, later on is that some of the things that were fixed was that our 1MC, uh, I could be wrong at this, but I, it was something that it, it, the controller was somewhere on the ship. It was only one location. So when the bombing happened in the midships, it triggered it and then there was no power to the No redundancy. Yeah. No redundancy, there you go. Yeah, okay. So, he just coming from there and he's like, go to your battle station, do not go outside. We don't know if they have snipers waiting for us. Mm. Um, so my GQ station at the time was back to radio. Um, so I run down to radio, uh, there's no power in the ship. Um, so my ITC and uh, two other, uh, a second class and a first class, they were in ready there. And she's like, I don't need you here. I got my alpha and my bravo for the combination. And we're ready to do emergency destruction if the ship needs to it will sink. Wow. So she said, go to the repair locker that you used to be. Uh, so my old repair locker used to be repair locker two of forward. Um, so I head over there. And what they did at that time was they moved all the, um, like all the, the, the efforts to both save lives and also save the ship to the repair back aft. Mm -hmm. So pretty much they just had like one officer standing there saying, grab these things and, and go to repair three. They'll tell you where, where you need it back out. Um, so that's me, where I headed. Let me ask you a question. That. Let me ask a question in there. So um, 
you know, like it's been my experience in times of like intense, well, intensity and in, in crisis, right? Like we, we train for a certain thing and we think, and if you look at the collisions from Seventh uh, Fleet, uh, you know, all of those stories coming out of that are just very heroic, like these great stories of heroism. And you think when we're in training, you know, as a chief in a repair locker, you're like, these guys are so lackadaisical. If anything ever happened, they would never respond on time. But then when you're in these actual situations or you read about them later, or I've been in some, not uh, obviously to that level of my ship being bombed, but I've definitely been in some situations where people just step up, man. And they just start doing exactly it's, it's really remarkable and unexpected because of the way sometimes our, our, our negative thought process is like these guys, you know, they're not motivated, but then when it really hits the fan, right. People get motivated. Was that how it was or was it chaos or controlled? Or oh, I'm really glad you brought that up because mm -hmm. um, stepping back to that fuel league that we had um, literally right after that, we had like GQ's uh, training for like, you know, the next day or something like that. And mm -hmm. uh, the DDG, you're supposed to set zero, like some something between a, a certain amount of um, time, you know. Uh, I think it's 11 we, minutes, yeah. Yeah, so we were, we were doing pretty bad. Uh, like we were, you know, to the point where the CEO came over the 1MC, it was like, we're going to continue to do this until we set zebra, you know, with the time that's required. Wow. And I'm just going to call GQ at crazy hours until we get Mm -hmm. So I give you that background to tell you then that the ship was set zebra to the capacity that was capable because of all the holes and all this stuff. But we set zebra within five minutes. Wow. Uh, that's and amazing. That to what you said is that at that moment when things were not going right and there's all this chaos, I mean, you're talking about metal, fire, flooding, bodies, you know, people injured, people just killed. And here you are, you know, people just doing what they're supposed to do. And, and even myself as a little seaman, my understanding was I need to go to my GQ station. Right. You know? yeah. And I didn't get to do anything on radio because there was nothing for me to do. But then my chief responded with, take, go to the repair locker. That's where you used to be. That's where they're going to need you. Yeah. You know? Um, so finally I, I get there and, and pretty much it just, that's when it becomes like really, it, 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 it was like a couple of hours, but it felt like a whole day where it was, I was literally just bounced around whatever was needed. Take this pump over here mm -hmm. and take this buckets over here. Um, bring uh, this uh, brooms and, and mops because we need to use some of them as tourniquets. And like, it, it was, it was a constant movement where I would just ping the round at what point did you guys know? And then I guess describe for the listener, obviously you didn't know at the time, but mm -hmm. you know, describe for the listener what we found out later. Um, everybody so, probably knows the story, but. So later on between uh, what we, what I saw and then the reports, uh, which is the FBI did really good for the first, I will say 10 years after it happened where they would literally send you updates of what the report was. Mm -hmm. um, but what, so I will tell you what we, the watchstanders saw as we started talking later on as everything kind of settled, like, hey, what happened? Mm -hmm. So we had a, a, a rover, uh, and uh, back then, and even to, to this day, there are certain things that you cannot dispose of, mm -hmm. as, you know, mostly hazmat. Um, so there was one small boat from a company came close to the stop, to the port side, little small boat, 
Uh, I had two individuals on board. They pick up trash. They left. The second boat came. Same company, same uniform. They get close. We start taking trash. They both of them stand up and start doing their prayers, and the whole boat blew up. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and that, that was part of the, um, I guess at the time that you had sheer confusion. I mean, you had no idea if you got hit with a missile or like if something exactly. just exploded. You know, like, right. At that, at that moment, the XO was just pretty much like, you know, we got hit. And, you know, like I said to you at first, I was like, okay, it was a bomb. I mean, it was an explosion. And then I hear him say we got hit. And as I'm walking around, people are just coming to assumptions like, hey, it was a missile. It's on another ship as they're as they're more coming. I think that was another fear too. Is like, is that it? Was that? Yeah, that was that was going to be my next question. So from your experience, it was all repair locker, uh, you know, dressing wounds, fighting the ship. Uh, I I just have to assume that they manned every gun mount, like all the M two forties, everything. Was so so out. yes, we we manned. I, I I do remember seeing that. Like I don't mm -hmm. again, I don't remember anything being passed over the one who see was because it was not working. Mm -hmm. But I remember, you know people running back and forth from uh, forward and aft in regards to like whether it was to, to go in for armory and get out up to, you know, a manning, you know, the different stations, the 50 cal here, there. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, it was like emotion to the point where the, I remember the XO went to the bridge and he had it done. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, I remember uh, uh, very, not even close to your experience, but I remember after nine 11, I was in Darwin, Australia and, uh, it was amazing how quick we armed up everybody <laughs> and got, yeah, I yeah. mean, it's, it's really remarkable. Yeah. That, that happened instinctively and very aggressively and quickly. Yeah. Yes. But anyway, I'm sorry yeah. I interrupted, but continue. No, 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 you're fine. So, um, so yeah, what once in between all that, and I think this is where, um, I, I get the, the part of the, you know, you get so caught up in like you're trained to do certain things and you go, go, go. Um, I was passing, I was going from back aft to a forward, going back to repair two to get something else. And I happened to look to my left. And uh, as you're coming out of the uh, domestics, there's a little space of the scullery that will like allows you to come out of the domestic. It's a little small part of the P-way and then you actually are in the main P-way, the star side. Um, and there was a body there. And it was just covered with a blanket. And, uh, curiosity man like I just had to see who it was you know so I lifted the, the blanket and it was one of the, the guys that I usually used to hang out with um, Seaman Gunn he was a SM that was before they became QMs mm -hmm. QMs, and um, he was unrecognizable uh, because of all the metal and stuff that he had it was, his body was pretty swollen and that's when I lost him that's when the 19-year-old me just had enough. Like, my adrenaline was not running. At that moment, I'm not ashamed to say that I just wanted to be with my mother. Because at that time, that's the only person that I love. I didn't have children. I was married. You know, I was a 19-year-old, you know, about a year out of high school. And I was just, I was done. Like, I just, I started bawling. I just wanted to go home. And I want to stay a few minutes if that, I had someone tap me um, on my shoulders, and uh, he just said very kind words. He wasn't being rude or anything or loud. He just said, go on. We still need to save the ship. 
and I, you know, I, that kind of like picked me up and, you know, I still was crying as I was walking, you know, but I went back to, you know, the things that I needed to do or what I was required to do. Uh, but that was the first shock of like seeing someone that I was close with. Um, and at DDG, you get, you get really familiar with people, especially on, on the deployment, you know, definitely. Yeah. That, that becomes your family and you get to know everybody, you know, I've done deployments in a carrier and it's not the same, you know, it's, it's 5,000, 6,000 people, you know, you don't get to meet everybody. Uh, but in a DDG, you know, everybody, you might not necessarily talk to everybody every single day, but you know, everybody. Yeah. Um, and that's when it first hit me. And then as things come down, and we were all like kind of now outside because we had all the, the, the guns manned and, you know, a little bit of control of the ship. Uh, I just had this urge to look for people. Because as I was going through the B-ways and going through stuff, I will see, oh, I saw so-and-so. Okay, so-and-so is alive. I see so-and-so. Okay, that person is injured, but they're still alive. They're here, you know. And I remember my chief saying, like, have you seen, you know, Perez Iguana, who was one of the ones, I've seen Iguana, I'm sorry. Simon McDaniels, who was also at IT, and she named a couple of people, and I was like, no. So I decided to go back to where the area where the bomb happened, where it hit most. And if you could picture the DDG, and you look where the CMC office is, that's how far from the, the poor side um, bulkhead all the way through to that area, that's how far it holds. Wow. We talk about almost half of the ship. I mean, that's probably 20, 30 feet. Yeah. That, that's correct. Yeah. And I was just looking from there and I started leaning and you could see then all the way down to the engineer's basins and the water just coming through. And that's when I started seeing like bodies in the different areas. Um, and unfortunately, that's how I got to pick up like, okay, that's, that's where so-and-so is. That's where so-and-so is. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then... I remember going by uh, uh, the engineering room, the log room. They had, uh, uh, we were lucky, if you could say that, that our CMC used to be a prior corpsman. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in a DDG, you usually just have uh, one IDC, independent duty corpsman, you know, and we had a chief and we also were lucky that we also had a HP3. Um, and then we also had a seaman that was trying to be engineer. So we had three people that kind of, have medical background, and then the fourth was the CMC, and he at that moment was a corpsman. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, he was, you know, but I remember seeing him, you know, looking at someone and telling another corpsman or someone else that was helping, kind of like, we can't do anything else, or, you know, like, if I stay longer with this person who I know is going to die, then I might not be able to save all the people that I know I can. Wow. And to hear those things at that, at that age, you know, to, to understand that someone has to make that tough choice. If it's tough for me to hear it, I can only imagine him having to make that choice. Right. Um, you know, so that's just some of the things I got exposed to. I was all over this. Like, I would just, I didn't, maybe some people might say like, hey, man, you're supposed to be staying in like a one place and helping. I was just all over the place. Anything that anybody needed. I was just doing stuff. I, I didn't save anybody's life. I didn't do nothing heroic, mm -hmm. but I was just all over. Like, yeah, you need me to carry this. That's what I will do. You need me to, you know, stand this watch and tell you if the water is getting too high, then that's what I would do. Yeah. Uh, you know, so. Did they ever get a, 
did they ever get a uh, or do you know uh, what the final like um, death count was and injury count and what do those numbers uh, look like? I can never forget the numbers, brother. Uh, mm-hmm. Seventeen deaths and thirty-nine were injured. Okay, so more than let's see, seven. So that's you know what seven percent of the crew, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then more than ten percent of the crew was injured. Uh, so yes. What's yeah? That's pretty. Uh, Pretty big numbers. And then, so I guess after things calm down, what's the decision for the ship as far as, I mean, can't get underway, right? And now we're in this dangerous port. Uh, so what was morale like uh, during that time? So the morale was a lot of uncertainty at first, you know, like what's going on, what's gonna happen. Uh, we try to kind of like go to sleep. Uh, so I'm now taking you to the end of the night. I got to remember also it's in Yemen, it's blazing hot. It was around between 110 to 120 Mm. uh, degrees. Yeah, not exaggerating. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, finally at night when things are kind of like calm and as far as like we kind of have everything somewhat under control, uh, they they tell us, hey, we're going to start mending these watches. Some people need to get some rest. I was one of those that that was told to go to my birthing. And then like literally like about an hour into it, you hear someone screaming that there is water like coming into the birthing, um, like pretty, pretty fast. Um, so we kind of all jumped up and uh, ended up that we all slept in the skin of the ship. Like the whole crew, you know, whether it was on the flight deck or, you know, the missile deck or, you know, on the midships. Like we were all outside of the skin of the ship uh, with blankets and our coveralls because uh, uh, we felt like that was a safer place. I mean, whoever was manning the watch, the guns that were doing that. Trying to then, trust them. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's that mm-hmm. trust in each other and the trust that, that, you know, the CEO is doing what he's supposed to be trying to get us help. Um, you know, I'd love to I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. This is just a philosophy I've had probably for the last 10 years, maybe. Uh, when I was a locker leader and things would start going bad or uh, even just like in an evolution, a deck evolution, when things get a little uh, complicated, I don't care if you're qualified. Do you know what I mean? Like I want people to be qualified. I want, you know, if you're not rig captain qualified, if you're not anchor captain qualified, if you're not POIC qualified, if you're not investigator qualified, whatever that, even if you're not nine mil qualified in a situation like that, and, and I've gotten, you know, chewed out by ATG for this as a locker leader was what I was going to say, because I would just be like, hey, you, you're now an investigator. Like, go do that. They'd be like, hey, man, that guy's not qualified. I'd be like, yeah, I don't care, because if this is real, I'm not going to be checking Radom. You know what I mean? Um, so was that your experience that people were yes. doing? Yeah. It was definitely that. I saw that uh, it, it's whether it was manning the, the, you know, the guns or, or where it was repair efforts. It was literally the next man up. You know, like, yeah, we're going to start with what we know. You know, like I said, like for me, you know, I went to radio for my GQ station. But after a while, it was like, where are you needed? Where do we need you? It's like, well, I need you. Like I said, I, I was manning one of the the, uh, the P100s pumps. I was just, that was my, my station. That was what I was doing for a while. And you, you had know, never, never, never done that before. Yeah, right. You know, so it was just simple as you, the body. This is what, it was a quick, like, 30 seconds. Here's how it works. What you should be looking for. If this start happening, then give me a call or a shout, you know. And you know, the DC person just went about his way. Yeah. You know? um, At so what I, point? I definitely saw a lot of that uh, going through 
At what point um, does the concern for mental health uh, weigh in for you or for others? Were there some people that had immediate uh, mental health issues? Uh, you know, I talk a lot about that on this podcast and obviously anybody that knows anything about me, they're listening to this because they know who I am. So like, you know, that's a big topic for me. Uh, so at what point, you know, maybe even just from your own experience was mental health a thought, you know, that, that you had some sort of impact or ramifications from this, this incident? To be honest, um, we were asked a lot of questions even there, you know, once we had more um, support, you know, where there was more ships. So we had American ships, we had a British ship for a while. And then we had the fast team, one of the fast teams from the Marines, they pretty much took over as far as then watches, guns. and boats. Oh, interesting. Yes. So, that. so they came on board, I want to say within 96 hours. Wow. That was pretty uh, so much so when they brought so many equipment and so many people that Yemen went to lockdown because they believed that we were about to go to war. So there was an amphibious ready group already on deployment and they just sent some Marines over. That's they, outstanding. Man, that just gave did. me goosebumps. That's cool. They, yeah. they did. And the brother, when I tell you that they, they took over then guns, they took over. Like to yeah, the good. point where like I would try to bring them food. I remember this like vividly. There was this guy in a 50 cal. And he's been standing there for like four hours, barely even flinch. Yeah. And here I am trying to bring him like a sneaky bard and, and, and a Gatorade, like, hey, man, thank you for what you're doing. And the guy didn't even answer me. And I hear the gun, like, telling me to back off. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Stop. Yeah. You know? um, and, and, you know, that moment, I'm a little semen. I'm just like, I'm just trying to give him something to eat. The demand yeah. is just standing here. But the more that I understand it, that's what they're trained for. That's what they do all the time. Yeah. And he could probably stand there for another four more hours, be okay, because that's what he's trained to. Um, yeah, but we, cool. we did get some support. We had the Marines. We had the USS Cook. Uh, came, like, about, I want to say, about three, four days later as well. Um, we had the uh, USNS uh, Candon support ship. They actually allowed us to take some of us, including myself. I went over there to you take a clean shower, sleep in a nice rack, be able to call your family. Um, because I made the mistake of not updating my page two. So any sailor that's uh, hearing this, uh, always keep your page two up to date. Uh, my mom go. did not get a phone call, uh, you know, to say anything about me uh, because my page two was not updated. Uh, yeah. So she saw it in the news back in the Dominican Republic. She saw the ship and she didn't get to hear from me until three days later. For three days, she thought I was dead. Yeah. Or and didn't know at least, yeah. Before, you know. Uh, it wasn't my, it wasn't the Navy's fault because they were calling anybody that you had in your page too, um, but I didn't have her number there, yeah. so my mom did not get a call. My call. So you started getting help, you started getting support, and part of that support was mental health professionals. So uh, I was I will tell you, you no. Know, um, the worst questions asked, you know, like, are you feeling okay? How are you feeling? Can you do this job? Um, so I was one of those lucky. I guess you could call it lucky. I was picked to take one of the bodies back. So when the divers came in and started taking the bodies out, right around the 17th of, of October, I remember that day because it's my birthday, um, they were taking bodies out. Um, I was picked to take one of the ITs, uh, IT of San Guana, the, the guy that I was telling you that we were training the, the seaman who also passed away, by the way. Um, 
So I was picked to take him back to the States to his family. So um, I landed in the, back in the U.S., I want to say either the 19th or the 20th of October. Uh, and when we landed, that was the first spot we went to. We went to Portsmouth. Um, and that's when we finally had like someone from mental health. How are you doing? What you doing? Like full blown questionnaires, you know, you know, how are you feeling? You know, what, what, if you have deep thoughts on this or that. Um, but they had a chaplain, uh, chaplain as well, um, uh, because I was, uh, crazy enough. We landed in Dover, um, and then from Dover, we went to Norfolk and I was the first, the, the first plane, because it was smaller planes. Uh, once we left from Dover to to Norfolk, and I was in the in the in the first plane, and I was the first one to come out, and I'm the only one that doesn't have family like waiting for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the chaplain is kind of like he went to me, and we started talking, and then we went to Portsmouth, and uh, the Navy actually put us in convalescent leave right away, um, and uh, for me, like they even bought a plane ticket for me to go to the Dominican Republic the next day. Um, Oh, to see your yeah. mom, see your family. My, my, see my mom and my dad, because that's where they, they were at at that time. Um, so, yeah, but I, I mean, the, the mental health part did not come into play as much until we were already, the ship was already back, because uh, it was brought up back on board the, the Blue Marlin. Um, it's one of those ships that actually comes under the ship and raises mm-hmm. up the water. Yeah. Um, so that's really, but I will say this, once we were back, that was available all the time, and it was easy to get the help if needed. Yeah, uh, there was no stigma. Uh, I can tell you that right now. Of like, hey, you know, you're just doing this to get out of this or get out of that or, or whatever. Um, it was really understood that that we went through something that at that moment nobody else has gone through to that extent. Um, so uh, the the resources and and the way that, that we were treated. Uh, to be able to get that kind of help was was uh, was really good. Uh, it has improved, uh, I feel, in, as a Navy. Uh, but for us, at least for what the, the for all of us, including myself, who who had to leave the ship um, uh, because of mental issues and, and PTSD and stuff like that, um, I, I was you know given every opportunity to talk to someone and you know uh, get treatment. So how did that treatment and uh, help evolve and how did that look for you personally? So for me, at first it was, it was hard to convince myself that there was, you know, that I had that, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm not trying to stereotype my own people, but I am Latino. There is this <laughs> macho thing, you know, of not, you know, you don't need no help. You'll be all right. You know, so even at a very young age of a 19, 20 year old, I was like, I don't need to talk to anybody. Yeah. You know? I remember we were in Pasigula. Uh, we were, the ship was getting fixed and they were give us, uh, I want to say it was either monthly or quarterly. They will give us like this questionnaire that we all had to do with mandatory. It wasn't, it's not like the Simeo survey where you have a choice. It was like a mandatory survey. And then depending how you score, there will literally, some people got pulled out of the command will be like, Hey, you need to go limb dude. And, and I was one of those. Okay. So, so when I noticed that I started getting more stress, I started getting more flashback as we were getting closer to the board. Yeah. Um, so then they took me off. I went in, dude, and uh, 
I was seeing a psychiatrist for about nine months, um, you know, from my limbu. And uh, it went from very angry episodes of, you know, of denial, I will say more to my part, you know, like I'm not angry because of this, like you know, this got nothing to do with, it, you know, kind of thing, mm-hmm. to opening up more and, you know, sitting down and crying in front of a, another man, which is, like I said, it's a macho, you know, uh, culture that I was brought up with. You never do that, you know? Yeah. Um, but I've got to say, I can't remember his name right now, but I know he was a captain, uh, a doctor, and he was very, uh, very helpful on making sure that I open up, very patient. Uh, like I said, I, I was one of those, I was very hard-headed. At the beginning, I was just going because I needed to go. I knew that I had to meet, I had to make these appointments or I would get in trouble. But as I started talking more and kind of talk about my, you know, my feelings and how I felt, you know, you'll ask simple questions like, how do you feel when you saw so-and-so by, and, you know, and I will start with, how do you think I feel? You know, like I just get really defensive and I, I could think now back where it started with that to went to crying to went to, you know, like, I miss my friend, you know, I felt like I lost someone, you know, um, but like I said, it was, it was really helpful. And I went through that and I got clear to go back to sea duty. Um, and I was good. I didn't, I didn't go to counseling for another, like what this was 2003 by now. Um, until that was time for me to go back to a DDG. Mm-hmm. So once I got orders to a DDG and I had to step foot in a DDG, all those anxieties, all that stuff came back. Right. But I didn't want to lose my orders. <clears throat> so, um, you know, it was, I knew that I needed to be in a DDG to make chief uh, as an IT. I knew that that was going to be required. I needed to be LPSC. Um, so what I did do was I, I reached out for help right away. Like once I saw some of the, you know, my anger came back up and my anxiety, my patience was a lot lower. So I started seeing some of the things that how it, it hits me in my, as far as my mental health. And I went seeking for help again, and I went to therapy for, for a long time. And I got to applaud the Navy and the fact that although, you know, I'm diagnosed with PTSD and you know, I went to treatment one more time, and I can get, you know, the, well, you cannot be in a ship, and you cannot be in arms, and you cannot, I, I never was told that I cannot do something because mm. of how I feel to this day about my experience in the cold. Yeah, that's a good message, I think. Uh, a lot of there is a lot of stigma I call it the mask of masculinity but you know but there's a lot of stigma and like you said for men too you know we're afraid to get help and I love hearing your story in that you know it it wasn't there there's no way you'd be where you are now without the help you know what I mean and everybody needs help and uh yeah I mean to the listener just you're a great example of exactly you know how reaching out and extending that lifeline can save a life and really help you you know, flourish as not only a leader, a sailor, as a father, you know, all those things that, you know, if you don't, problems don't get better with time, you know, definitely not. Uh, if you're not dealing with them, uh, I say a lot for my stuff is that, you know, it wasn't that I dealt with it poorly is that I wasn't dealing with it at all. And that problem only gets worse when you don't deal with it. So kudos to you, man. I, I think that's a powerful message for anybody listening. Yeah, I, I was lucky that my, my, the way my mind manifested was not necessarily anything, you know, alcohol ended up in my anger and 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 i was pushing away people that care and loved about me because mm-hmm. i was 
you know, something as simple as, you know, not putting water on, on, the, on the dirty dishes in the sink will make me blow up for, for you know, just something that simple. Uh, did you, uh, did you have any other, cool. did you have any other uh, coping mechanisms that you use? Uh, any books that you would recommend? Uh, anything? So, so for me uh, right now, uh, it, it's one is exercise. That's, yeah. that's definitely, uh, I, I was not, I was not big. I was doing enough to, I mean, I was really skinny uh, back in my day. So I was, you know, we'll pass the PRT with pretty good scores, but it was not because I was in um, now, uh, I don't run as much as you, but uh, I do need to uh, get some miles in every day to, that's how I cope with everything pretty much, but that's definitely uh, something that works for me. Uh, second is, um, I don't meditate a lot, but I, I do think a lot of what am I representing? And what I mean by this, I feel like I represent three things. I represent my parents. You know, uh, my mom is someone that doesn't speak English, uh, doesn't understand the Navy very well. I, I tell her chief and she thinks that I actually like own the ship. Like I, I'm the chief of the ship. She, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. Just, that's how she gets it. It's like I, I run everything because I'm the chief. Mm -hmm. um, but my thing that comes to that part there is I want to make sure that if you tomorrow who, you know, don't know who she is, uh, but you just happen to be talking about me, her presence, and you know you don't know her, but she hears you. That what you say is not something that will embarrass. So mm -hmm. that's my first motivation to kind of like calm myself down, to you know keep thriving. Second is my children. Yeah, um, I have to set an example, and there literally are plenty of times where I have got that anger again, or or you know what, well, well, I find myself in a dark place, and I start thinking about. It. You know, um, and I know a lot of people have children and that's, you know, that doesn't mean that that, that we could all use it. And it's not it's that simple, uh, but it's it, it works for me uh, because I just feel like, you know, again, one, I'm representing them Two, I don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardize my future with them. Um, for me being around them, for me, you know, walking down the aisle with my daughter, you know, you know, giving away kind of thing or just going to the games with my son as he gets older. Like, I don't want to jeopardize that. And then third is that I'm alive for a reason. I could have been there with the other two that went ahead, you know, like to eat early. Uh, if I would have, I would have been dead, just like they are, unfortunately. Um, and I stay Navy, you know, through this time. So there's a lot of us that, that were on board the coal that, you know, one, because they were injured or just two, because they just couldn't take that anymore, you know, or they had the, some of the issues that I had that decided to get out uh, and for good reasons, uh, but I decided to stay. So I feel like I carry that. I carry us, you know. So when I, I walk around and I work with some ribbons that people are like, where did you get that? And I have to be like, I'm cold. That, that, you know, that's yeah. the only way that I could have got these things. Um, that I could, you know, make, again, make them feel like I'm, I'm representing, you know, at the very least those 17 that passed away. Um, yeah, their legacy, their memory. Their legacy, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, those are my coping, like I said, exercising, thinking about those things. Uh, I don't necessarily meditate a lot, but I do think and sit down sometimes and I got to catch myself. Introspective. Uh, yeah, introspective. Yeah, introspective. Thoughts. And just talk. Mm -hmm. Even sometimes I call it even my own pep talk, you know, like, okay, 
you know, if this is went wrong or you didn't like how that went, how can we go in the next path? How can we make it better? And why are we better? And it's usually one of those three things. Well, I think you'd be happy to know, uh, and this is not just something that I'm saying uh, to make people feel good. It is true. Um, there is a lot of pride and professionalism on that ship today. Uh, everything they do is very, uh, it's very outstanding, <laughs> for, for lack of a better word. Like they really, uh, I don't know if it's just a, uh, by the grace of God, they've got the talent or if it's, you know, just people have that pride instilled in them because they know the importance of what that ship's mission is and what that namesake means to all Americans. Um, but I know that anybody, like I'm a plank owner of USS Stockdale and that ship's always going to have a, you know, a spot in my heart. And I know the coal has to be the same for you. And so I just want to let you know, man, like I was just there today and they are, they are doing well. Uh, they are really, uh, prideful in their work. It's a very proud ship. CO and XO, CMC, uh, the operations officer, all those guys, I'll give them a shout out. They are all amazing human beings and just really professional. So that legacy is being continued, just so you know. Um, uh, that's really good to hear. Uh, and uh, I, I didn't expect anything less because the three years that I was in Deseron, like I told you, they were under us. And I will say 90% of the things compared to the other ship that were, they were always the top. Yeah, and, uh, it was it was that mentality. Mm. Um, that, you know, we're the coal. I remember like going to do inspections and then having to outbreak the CO. And you know, and I, they had like two different COs in the three years that I was there. And you know, some might say it was cocky, but he, they were always answered kind of the same way. I will say, you know, hey, you guys got it on, you know, ninety nine percent on this or ninety percent, you know, you blew it out of the water. And they will always answer with this is you, this is coal. Yeah, and if, if you're okay, if you're okay with it, uh, you know, I'll share this with the chain of command and maybe with their Facebook page. Um, I don't have no problem with that. Yeah, I'm sure the sailors on board would love to hear your story, man. It's pretty remarkable. Um, did you have any save rounds? I do have one question that I want to ask. I, I don't. I don't. I, I think I think I pretty much, uh, you know, cover, you know, my, 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 you know, what I went through and, uh, you know, the, 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 the good things that have come out of that. And I, and I go also as much as to say that even the Navy has learned from it. Unfortunately, 17 people had to die, 39 had to get injured, uh, and many more had to deal with other stuff. Uh, but we learned from it, from having, you know, a redundancy within the 1MC, from not letting ships get that close anymore without being vetted, or not even getting close at all, even if they were vetted somewhere else. Uh, we learn from it, and that's that's all you could hope, you know. Um, I know that that's not going to bring anybody's, you know, family back or anybody, uh, one of those sailors that, that, that we lost, one of our shipmates, but that's the least that we could do, and, and I'm very proud of that, that I, I've seen the Navy evolve and learn from those mistakes, and hopefully we continue to, to do better. Hence the name of this podcast, Evolution. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> no, very well said, man. Um, before I close out with this question, I just want to acknowledge you. I want to thank you for your service. Um, you know, it's, it's a great story. And I, I also appreciate your ability to share it openly. Uh, you know, that's, this is going to help some sailors uh, in my network. And uh, hopefully, you know, this will reach the right people that needed to hear it, that, you know, there is help out there, and, you know, to not be afraid to reach out for that lifeline. So I appreciate you, man. I just want to take a second to acknowledge you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> uh, so, I pretty much ask everybody this question. We talked a lot about legacy, right? And it's funny because this theme always comes up. Every time I interview somebody, we end up talking about legacy, right? 
And so you had mentioned, you know, carrying on the Coles legacy and the sailors that passed their legacy. And so I have this philosophy where, you know, we're also focused on our legacy that we worry about our reputation to build our legacy. But if we really focused on our value system and our character, right, the, the reputation and legacy would take care of itself, right? And we as chiefs, we have, you know, the, the chief's creed, we have, you know, the, the guiding principles, we have all these things, right? But that's not necessarily, that doesn't define, you know, Amari's character, right? So my question is, you know, what is your character? How would you express your character? And how would you hope uh, people receive your character? And then what do you do on a daily basis to ensure that your character is what you want it to be? So I think I start with, uh, which might not be what necessarily people want to hear from a senior chief, but um, that I'm full of mistakes. Uh, I, 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 make, I make mistakes today as well, just like I will tomorrow and just like I have. So I acknowledge that, that I'm, um, I'm, I'm someone that, you know, although wants to do right at all times, it necessarily means that, that, that that's what it is. But as far as my, my character goes into understanding that, that I'm, that I'm, you know, that I don't know it all, that I don't do everything by the, you know, every single line of the book, uh, uh, but that I try. And that, um, that the people that I work with, that, that I work for and they work for me, that they can count on me to, you know, be there to support them and anything they need. And I think a lot of times that, that, that is said so easily, oh, every, whatever you need, I, I take care of you. And then we put in certain situations and then you kind of see the true colors. But uh, I, I truly mean that. And, uh, you know, I know I heard this before. I probably stole it from someone else. Uh, but uh, I, I always try to use that, you know, that the sailors are first in the mission always. And I think it's, if you always keep that within your character is that you're taking care of people, they will take care of you. And, and in turn, they will take care of the mission. Um, so I, I like to be very humble. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure of what I do, what I can bring to the team. But it doesn't mean anything if we don't have the other links. Uh, all the way from my little ITSR uh, that just got from, you know, from A school. And it's now, you know, learning Sicily and learning all the way to, you know, my, my operations officer to, you know, my, my CEO, uh, we all have a job. We all have a, you know, family to look, look for us. So um, my, my character is to try to make sure that I, I bring out the best out of myself and uh, those around me. And sometimes bringing out the best is not necessarily within the Navy. Sometimes it's just guiding them. Okay. Thank you for your service. Um, you know, but you could be better in another environment. Um, and, and it's nothing wrong with that. Just the same way as I'm a salty, you know, chief now going on 10 years since I put on anchors. Uh, I don't have no problem telling the first class, like, that if he, he or she wants to go LDO or wants to do something, let's go. Let's look at that instruction. Let's, let's make sure that your package is the best package it could be, you know, so you could be and perform the best because we need that. We need that as well. So uh, the character is about, you know, can tomorrow that sailor say, you know, senior chief tried. He tried, and I know he tried to do the best for us, the best for the command, uh, and the best for the Navy. I think that's awesome, man. I, I got that's. I'm gonna leave that alone. I'm gonna let you just go out with that because that's that's amazing. I think that's uh, what we should all strive to do. So, uh, thanks, brother. I appreciate you, and uh, appreciate thank you for it, your time. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good night, brother. 
And there you have my conversation with my friend Amori Ponciano. Goosebumps, right? Wow, what an amazing story. Um, you know, I think that the USS Cole, as I said in the interview, that it's one of, uh, I'm proud to say, is one of the ships that I go to every day. Uh, and they, uh, they have a remarkable crew. Even to this day, they do so much for our country. They have so much pride and professionalism in everything that they do. And, and it definitely shows to this day. Uh, how engaged those sailors are from the CO to the seaman recruit. I mean, every individual I've ever contacted on that ship is a complete professional. And, uh, you know, I think some of the takeaways from Amari's story, you know, is, is one, I, I think you'll, it, it's human nature that you will see human beings in moments of crisis. Uh, you'll see the best of them come out. You know, we, we train for a reason but then when it really hits the fan and when you really are required to perform, it's it's amazing how people stand up and, and do their job uh, in, in ways that maybe they could have never done before because of the intense uh, emotion, because of the intensity of the situation in the crisis. Uh, it's really telling of human nature, and I thought that was a good takeaway. Uh, you know, another major takeaway is, you know, there was some extreme adversity there, right? And a lot of reasons for a lot of people to say, you know, or it would have been okay if they had said, you know, I don't want a Navy anymore, right? And Amari's a true testament of, you know, how you can overcome that adversity, how you can persevere through that hardship. And on the other side, look what a great story he has to share and how many lives he's impacted just by sharing his story one-on-one. -on -one. You know, how many sailors has he been able to reach on another level because of his experience that he had on board USS Cole? And then the last and probably most important takeaway that I got from that, uh, I'm sure you have more and hopefully you were taking notes and maybe re-listen to it again and, and think about ways you can apply some of his lessons learned to your life. But the biggest thing that I heard and the thing I want to highlight or shine a light on for you is if you need help, if you have PTSD, if you're depressed, if you have some, uh, something going on in your life, don't be afraid to reach out for help. Don't be too proud. Don't be too macho. Don't be too cool. Don't be too ashamed. Don't have guilt. Don't have worry. Go get the help you need. Talk to somebody. There are a lot of programs out there. The programs are designed for you to be a better human being. They're not to ruin your career. They're not to ruin your relationships, your friendships. They're not for any reason other than to make you a good human being so that you can show up and be the best person that you're capable of being you can be your best self uh, but first that requires you to to know to pay attention to the warning signs and know that maybe you have something going on that you need to talk to someone about so self-awareness first right and then just make the phone call extend the lifeline uh Amari did it he said three times right where he had to battle these demons uh he did those are my words not his but you know he had to he had to come to grips with the fact that he had something he needed to deal with because of this uh, trauma that he experienced in his life, right? And obviously, because of the help that he got and because he was self-aware enough to reach out and get that help, he's been able to do so much good, not only for the country, the Navy, his family, but for you guys. So it's my sincere hope that uh, you enjoyed that conversation, that you took something away from it, and that if you need anything from me or Mari or anybody in your anybody in, in your realm any, anybody in your tribe man that you would just 
you know, not hesitate to reach out and uh, let us know. All right, guys, I hope you're all staying safe. I love you very much. We'll check in with you next week on the evolution.